I do want to remind everyone today that we are going to partake in the Lord's communion together. And so hopefully you have your elements. If not, you can gather them together. We're going to do that at the conclusion of the message, but I did want to give you a heads up on that. So last week, Pastor Rock challenged us with a great word out of Genesis 16 and what it means when we walk in the flesh. And I love the words that he said when he expressed that we can't walk in the flesh and the spirit at the same time as one always excludes the other and how true that is. So just to recap, for us to remember, in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah demonstrate the devastation of what it means to walk in the flesh. The devastation of what happens when we walk in the flesh. If you'll remember that Sarai had not been able to bear children. And so they fast-tracked or they tried to fast-track the promises of God by having Abram sleep with the Egyptian maidservant Hagar, which birthed Ishmael, which birthed tremendous pain that is still going on to this very day. So the consequences of walking in the flesh always bring pain and disappointment to our current circumstances, to those around us, and even to our future. Now, As Pastor Rock said last week, Scripture doesn't clearly define what it means to walk in the flesh, but its dynamics are certainly expressed in God's Word. And they include our human intellect, our will, our emotion acting independently of God. That is walking in the flesh. Our desire to gain and to retain control. That is walking in the flesh. Our impatience with our circumstances, and sometimes even with God himself, that is most certainly walking in the flesh. So is relying on our human understanding instead of God's wisdom. As is trusting in what we see, that which is earthly, rather than having faith on what is eternal. Our attempts to, again, fast-track God's promises and to answer our own prayers is what it means to walk in the Spirit. And last but not least, when you and I embrace presumption, we walk in the flesh. And while walking in the flesh can ultimately stop God's provision, or it can't stop God's provision, I'm sorry, it does always complicate it and create problems. And that's why the title of Pastor Rock's message last week was The Path of Disappointment. Well, this week, we are going to continue with the story of Abram, which leads us now to chapter 17 in Genesis. And it will lead us to examine what it means to walk in the spirit, which is the opposite of walking in the flesh. As God appears once again to Abram, he reminds him of the covenant that was made years before and he calls him to live a life of walking in an alternate path where walking in the flesh leads to a path of disappointment. Walking in the spirit leads to a path of victory, of rejoicing and blessing. This was true for Abram, and today it is true for you and I. So today's message, it's called The Path of the Promise. Let us pray. 
Father, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to walk through this book of beginnings, this book that challenges us to and reminds us that you are our creator. You are our mighty God, the one who calls us to walk by spirit and not by the flesh. So as we go to your word today, may your spirit come alive in us. May your word become real in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions. Let it be so in your mighty name. Amen. So let's go right to the text for today. This is Genesis chapter 17. If you have your Bibles or you have your phone there, I'm going to encourage you to open it up. The, the text will also be on the screen as you watch. So here we go. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am God Almighty. Some translations say El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of, the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all of the land of Canaan. For an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And then in verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. There's a lot jammed and packed into those 11 verses of Genesis 17. So let's break that down a little bit. Now there are 13 years, 13 years have passed since chapter 16 to now chapter 17. 13 years since Abram slept with Hagar and Ishmael was born. Abram is now 99 years old and God's promise still has yet to be fulfilled. So as we just read, God appears on the scene and he introduces himself in a new name. It's the first time El Shaddai is introduced in the Bible. It's the first appearance of the name. Now, El Shaddai can be tricky in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word, but it can be tricky to explain. But there are two things right away that God says, El Shaddai says to Abram. He challenges Abram, one, to walk before him. Two, is to be blameless. And he says, Abram, you walk before me and you're blameless, blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you. And how does Abram respond? He responds by falling on his face in worship to God. Then we come to a name change. This happens. God changes 
Abram's name to Abraham and it reminds him of the promise that he made 25 years ago when he called him out of the land of Haran. So the first eight verses in chapter 17, there are seven times that God tells Abram what he will do. Seven times God uses the word, I will, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Seven times in those first eight verses. In verse nine, however, it begins with three words, as for you. So this covenant, covenant, God is saying, here's what I'm gonna do. And then in verse nine, we find out, but as for you, Abraham, this is what I, God, am calling you to do. And he calls Abraham to keep his covenant. And part of that covenant is walking before God and living a blameless life. And then we get to the physical sign called circumcision. This circumcision was going to be a physical sign to the world around Abraham that he was in covenant with God. So, As we unpack this today, first of all, we have to talk about God introducing himself as El Shaddai. So as I mentioned, El Shaddai can be a little tricky to define, especially and even in Hebrew. It's often translated in your Bible, it's probably translated as God Almighty. Now El Shaddai, God Almighty, is one of the most frequently appearing names for God in the Bible. El in Hebrew, El means mighty and Shaddai is often defined as sufficient supply. There are often indications of the word breast or utter meaning source, that it's a mighty source, a mighty supply. God is our mighty supply. He is our El Shaddai. I like to define it this way as the mighty one who has an all-sufficient supply. I also read this week in studying for this that someone referred to El Shaddai as the overpowerer, God's power to achieve all of his his purposes. So the book of Job, interestingly enough, uses the word El Shaddai more than any other book in the Bible. And this makes sense Because God gives Job a particularly clear and awe-inspiring description and display of his power. Job spends most of the book questioning God's purposes. But by the end, he understands and God, this El Shaddai, finally silences even Job's question. So God appears to Abram after 13 years and he introduces himself as the mighty one, who has an all-sufficient supply. You see, because when Abram did things by his natural self, when he was walking in the flesh, Abram forgot the source of his supply. In other words, he forgot God as his all-sufficient source. Therefore, God came to Abram and he seemed to say to Abram, Abram, I am the mighty one. Are you lacking something? Why don't you come to me your El Shaddai, your source. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Come to me as I am your provider. 
the source of your supply, Abram. It's not your natural self. The answer is not to walk in the flesh. But I, the mighty one, the overpower, I am the all-sufficient one who can supply everything you need for your living and everything you need for the fulfillment of my eternal purposes. I am the source. Abram, you are not the source. You should live not by your own, on by your own self or in the flesh. You have to live in me as the source of your supply. So today we're going to talk about four keys to understanding what it means to walk in the Spirit. And the first is understanding that walking in the Spirit requires a recognition that God is your all-sufficient source. So I ask you today, what are you lacking? What is missing in your life? Is it peace, joy, wisdom, healing, provision, a sense of safety, fulfillment, purpose? Just like Abram, you and I will be tempted to lean into our flesh to fulfill these by our own means. This is exactly what Abram did. But rather than walking in the flesh, we must walk in the spirit and trust the El Shaddai, the mighty one who has and is our all-sufficient supply. Paul even says this, these words in Acts when he says, for we are in him, we live him, we live in him, we move and exist. Everything is in Christ. It is in God, our source. Now, immediately after peering to Abram as El Shaddai, God gives Abram two direct commands. If you remember, in verse 1, he said, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am almighty God, El Shaddai. And then he says directly this, one, walk before me, two, be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Now, notice what God said. God did not say, walk with me. God said, walk before me. So just for a moment, I want to talk about the difference between walking with God And walking before God. When we walk with God, if you remember Genesis 5, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. Walking with God speaks to a level of intimacy and relationship. You can think about a husband and a wife walking together, walking with your spouse. Or a parent and a child, a child walking with the parent. Walking before God, as God calls Abram to do here in Genesis 17, speaks to something different. It speaks to reverence. It speaks to presence. It speaks to honor. If you can imagine walking before a king, walking before a judge, or standing before. Both walks are equally important. We need to walk with God, and we need to walk before God. We must walk in close and intimate relationship with the Father. He draws us close. He invites us into his presence. However, we must also walk before God with a holy reverence and fear, realizing that he is calling us to holy living and to be changed to be more like him. We see this in the second command from this very verse when God says to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. And this is why recognizing God as our source, as our all-sufficient source, is so important. None of us, you and I, we cannot be blameless without God. 
without God, there is no blamelessness. Genesis 15, two chapters earlier, remember? It says, and Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith. Paul writes of the very same thing in Romans chapter four. Because of Abraham's faith, Paul's referring back to Abraham, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just for back then. Paul says it was recorded for our benefit. That's you and I. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Our faith alone justifies us. Faith alone justifies us. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are seen as righteous before God. So... When God says, walk before me and be blameless. When Jesus in Matthew says, but you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. We can look to El Shaddai, God Almighty, the sufficient source for everything that we need. The overpower of sin and death and say, I am righteous by faith through God's sight and in God's sight. So here's the second point. Walking in the spirit not only requires that we see God, we recognize God as being all sufficient source. Walking in the spirit requires a faith that makes us blameless before God. We recognize God as our all sufficient source and we walk in the spirit by a faith that makes us blameless before God. So now let's go down to verse 5. Genesis 17, 5 says, No longer, here's the name change, the shift in the story again. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of the multitude of multitude of nations. Now names were really important. You probably recognize that or know that. In this culture, names describe who you were, who you came from. Your name had a meaning and it was really important. So this is significant for God to change Abram's name to Abraham. And here's a great background about this name change that we often miss. God throughout most of the, at, at this point was referred to as Yahweh. And that is spelled out, it was often spelled out, Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, but it was spelled Y-H-W-H. So this Yahweh gives Abram, if you look at the spelling and you spell Abram, A-B-R-A-M, God takes an H from his name and he gives it to Abram, an H-A, a ha, if you will. And Abram turns into Abraham. Now here's where it gets really interesting. In Hebrew, H is pronounced hey, just like you walk into your room and go, hey, say hey with me, if you will. You can even hear the breath. There's a hey. So you're getting the picture from Abram to Abraham. God takes the hey of his name and he adds it to Abraham and it's Abraham. God was joining his name to Abraham's name forever. And if that is right, think about this. 
If that is right, if that is the way the name of God is to be taken, and I believe it is, then God was not merely breathing some of his breath into Abram, imparting, if you will, some of his spirit to Abram. Though that is also true, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. God was literally joining his name, which signifies all that God is. He was joining that to Abram's. Abram, the father of many, now becomes Abraham. Abraham plus El Shaddai, the mighty God. And much like Abram, when we come to faith in Christ, God joins his name to ours and we are united to him eternally. His breath just doesn't live in us. His name, the name above all names is connected with us. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be Christ's, to be joined to him and to take on his very name. It is Alan plus El Shaddai, the mighty God. It is Greg plus El Shaddai, the mighty God. It is Sharon plus God, the El El Shaddai, the mighty God. God joins his name to us. And here's what's interesting even more. In the, Old Testament covenant, in the Old Testament covenants, when you made a covenant with someone, exchanging names was part of it. It's where we get the ceremony of, hus- of wives taking on their husband's last name. It's a part of a coven- covenantal tradition that's passed on to this day. Well, names were exchanged. So not only does God give the hey and connects them to us, from that point f- further, God is often referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac. So it's a reminder to both parties that they are in covenant with one another. Today, you and I, we serve the God of Alan, the God of Greg, the God of Sharon, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. We have exchanged names with El Shaddai. Now, here's where we're going to get really practical about what it means to walk in the Spirit. We've learned that walking in the Spirit, one, requires a recognition of El Shaddai, of God as our all-sufficient source. That's first and foremost. Two, walking in the Spirit requires a faith that makes us blameless before God. But here are the other two. I'm going to begin, though, with a verse from Paul in Ephesians. This is such an important verse for us today, and it speaks very clearly to what it means to walk in the Spirit. Paul writes, so be careful how you live. We could stop right there. (laughs) Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, many Greek scholars point out that those words, be filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. They point out that this is a present imperative tense of the words, be filled. 
that are being used here in that verse. So here's what that means. It carries a connotation of a continuous replenishment or an ongoing state of being filled. It's not be filled one time with the Holy Spirit, but there's an ongoing, a continuing, a replenishment. You could even say, and it has been suggested that it could read, instead, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are to be people who walk by the Spirit and not of the flesh, we must daily run to the source of such a filling. And this is why spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, reading God's word, meditation, serving, giving, and worship, this is why they're so important. That contributes to us being filled daily with the Holy Spirit. If you're looking today for ways in which you can be more spiritually disciplined, ways in which your life can be filled daily, replenished daily with the Spirit, I want to encourage you to participate in 91 Weeks of Transformation. These things I'm going to mention, you can go to our website today, acac.net, click Ministries, 91 Weeks of Transformation is a time that will walk you through. There's an app for it where you get into God's Word, you hear explanation of God's Word. Diving into God's Word on a daily basis will help you. It'll help replenish and fill your life with the Spirit of God. Growth groups are another way. If you're not plugged into a growth group, these are small groups of maybe... 10 to 12, 14, 15 people that go through God's word together. There'll be some that meet after this message that break this down even more. They do life together. They hold each other accountable. They cry together. They laugh together. They fellowship together. This is a part of of being filled with the Holy Spirit transforming conversations. These are conversations that Pastor Rock does in teaching. They're on our website. Fill your life daily. Dive into God's word. Fall on your knees in prayer. But you've got to replenish. Continually fill your life with the spirit of God. So the third one is walking in the spirit requires a continual filling of the spirit. You cannot walk in the spirit if you're not being continually filled. That makes pretty much sense to me. And here we go towards the last one. In verse 9, God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you, you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, before we talk specifically about this verse, I want to real quickly look at two other verses in regards to circumcision in the New Testament. Colossians 2.11, this is really important. Paul writes again, when you came to Christ, you, speaking to those believers, me and you, we were circumcised. Paul says, though, but not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Here's the next verse, another verse by Paul in the book of Philippians. He says, for we are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, you and I, we worship today by the Spirit of God. We worship the Spirit of God. So according to Paul, you and I are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And 
put no confidence in the flesh. So Alan, you ask, what does this all mean? Simply put, circumcision is the removal of flesh. It is the elimination of our selfless, of our selfish desires. It is the cutting away of our personal wants, expectations, attitudes, feelings, words, anything that feeds and fuels our own satisfactions other than God's. That's what needs to be cut away. For Abraham, this cutting away would be a physical sign of the covenant he made with Christ. And so it must be with us. So here's the last key to walking in the spirit. For walking in the spirit requires a crucified life. It requires a cutting. When we are walking in the spirit, there is a visible sign to the world that our flesh has been removed. As I mentioned before, when we come to faith in Christ, it is our faith that justifies us. It's our faith that makes us right before God. But the sign of that justification comes by living a life of walking in the Spirit. The sign of our justification is living a crucified life. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is where I just want to close with a really heart-to-heart conversation about what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, as I explained today, is recognizing that God is our all-sufficient source. Walking in the Spirit requires us to understand that it's faith alone that makes us blameless before God. It's understanding that walking in the Spirit, to do that, we need a continual filling of God's Spirit, a replenishing. And fourth, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we've got to be cut. We have to live a crucified life. Last week, Pastor Rock asked us to do homework. He asked us to examine our hearts and our life. And he asked us if we're walking in the flesh in regards to living through a pandemic or engaging in a pandemic, engaging in a political and polarized world, and engaging in standing against injustice and racism. So today I ask you, one, I ask, did you do your homework? Did you examine your heart and your life to see if you were walking in the flesh in those three areas? And right now, I challenge you, I ask you, are we walking in the spirit in those areas? The Bible's pretty clear about what fruit looks like. If you're walking in the spirit, your life is going to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when it comes to a pandemic, are we responding with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? Or the fruit of the flesh, which would be hate, animosity, indifference, despair, anxiety, discord, rudeness, intolerance, corruption, evil, undisciplined, abrasive, and harsh. That's fruit of the flesh. So how are you doing? How would you grade yourself right now walking through a pandemic? How would you grade yourself 
in the political polarization of the world that we live in. My Lord, we need more sons and daughters of God. We need more Christians who are walking in a polarized political world through the spirit rather than the flesh. We have enough animosity. We have enough despair. We have enough cruelty and rudeness and intolerance. We have enough abrasiveness and harsh, all fruit of the flesh. But what we need more of is a filling of God's spirit so that his people would walk through a polarized political world with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness toward others, goodness toward elders, self-control on what we type and what we post and what we email and what we say and what we call. God help us to walk in the spirit. And what about in the areas of racism and injustice? When we're walking in the flesh, we see evil and corruption. We see control. We see animosity. We see hate. We see indifference. We see self-indulgence and falseness and unreliability. But when we're walking in the spirit, we're engaging with those conversations. It comes out of conversations of love and joy and control and gentleness and patience with one another. We need to walk in his spirit. I don't know if there's a better way to end the service today than to come to the Lord's table. And that's what we're going to do. So if you have the bread and the cup, you may have juice or crackers, whatever you have there, I'm going to ask that you get that out. And before I read the scripture and before we go through that, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, but in the portion that we normally read when it comes to communion, Paul writes in verse 28, he says, that we're to examine ourselves before we come to the table of the Lord. So right here in this empty sanctuary, I'm going to pause and I'm going to examine my own heart. And I challenge you right now on the couch, in the car, wherever you're at, whether you're alone with your kids, your family, with your growth group, I just want us to take a minute, as Paul said, to examine our hearts. God made a new covenant with us. He sent Jesus, his blood was shed on a cross. It's a new covenant. And we need to be Christians who are signed to the world is that our flesh is cut. That we're living the crucified life. So right where you're at, I'm just gonna give you a few moments to examine your own heart before we take the bread and the cup together. take the bread on the night Jesus was betrayed the 
Lord took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. As you take, will you remember the body that was broken for you and I? take the cup together in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup it's a new covenant it's a new covenant between God and his people that's you and I it's an agreement confirmed with his blood and Jesus says do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it to partake together He asked us to remember. So this week, I challenge you. The opportunity will come at some point for you to walk in the flesh, for you to respond in control or anger, cruelty, selfishness, whatever it may be. I'm going to ask, just as we remembered the blood and the body that was spilled and broken, by Jesus, that you would remember that God's called us to walk in the Spirit. Our flesh has to be cut. We've got to live the crucified life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we are a people in desperate need of cutting, a surgery, A circumcision of the heart, as the Bible says, that would remove our selfishness, our pride, our our sin, our desire to be in control. I pray that you would work that in us, that we would be filled with your spirit. I thank you that you are our source today. Everything we need, all that you have promised is found in you. Help us to remember that. I thank you that we are justified by faith, that Through your eyes, through the blood of Christ, we are seen as holy and blameless. And again, may your spirit replenish and fill us today and every day moving forward so that we could be a people that walk in being crucified, that we would pick up our cross and die daily. Let that be a sign to you and to the rest of the world in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us.